0: Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Zhang Qizheng and the Nine Headed Bird. On my father's side, my family traces back to a town named after us in the province of Hubei in central China. Our common ancestor a Ming dynasty general, settled there in 1371. For those of you who don't know where Hubei is, well, in the pandemic era, I can inform you with mixed feelings that the city of Wuhan is the metropolitan center of that province. In years past, when I traveled around mainland China, almost Invariably, when I mentioned that, I traced back to Hubei. Folks brought up a time-honored saying about the people there. Lao. Which means, in the sky, there is the nine-headed bird. So on earth, there is the man from Hubei. I actually had never heard that saying while growing up in Taiwan, and so I would ask my interlocutors, well, what does that mean? And invariably, they would assure me that the proverb was a compliment and referred to Hubei people's reputation for superior intellect. The nine-headed bird in this interpretation is a metaphor for intelligence. But the true meaning behind the proverb and how it came to be is more complicated and possibly less complementary. First of all, what really is a nine headed bird? Metaphor or not, the concept doesn't just come out of nowhere. In fact, the Shanghai Jing. The Book of Mountains and Seas, that ancient tract of geography and biology, both real and mythological, states that in distant lands, there is a god with nine human heads and the body of a bird, known as the Nine Phoenix. During the Zhou Dynasty, which began in 1046 BC, The people of what at the time was southern China worshipped the nine-headed bird. This area became the kingdom of Chu during the spring and autumn and warring states eras, and the nine-headed bird became the totem of the Chu. The area that is now Hubei at the time formed the heartland of the Chu. However, at the time, the kingdom of Chu was considered peripheral and its culture semi-barbarous compared to the culture of China's center of gravity to its north. So the mainstream culture demoted the nine-headed bird from a deity to a demon. The 6th century author Zhong Ling reported that during his time, in what is now Hubei, families feared the demon bird flying overhead in the darkness of night. Certain versions of the myth of the nine-headed bird said that initially the bird had ten heads. The loss of its tenth head was attributed to violent cause, and some said that the bird continued to bleed from where it lost its 10th head. And as a result, it continually needed to suck away human souls to make up for the blood loss. Long story short, the nine-headed bird became an evil omen. At this point, you might be thinking, hell, now it doesn't sound like a compliment at all to compare the people of Hubei to the nine-headed bird. But wait, there is more. We find the actual origin of the proverb in the 16th century, during the Ming Dynasty, specifically during the reign of Emperor Wanli. And it has to do with a man named Zhang Juzheng. Zhang Juzheng was born into an educated family in 1525, in, you guessed it, Hubei. At only 12 years old, Zhang Juzheng passed the local level of the civil service exam and earned the rank of Xiu Tai. The following year, he sought to pass the provincial exam. During this time, he actually befriended the obviously much older provincial governor who was in charge of the exam. The governor thought he saw great talent in the 13-year-old, but he also felt that too much success too early would, in the end, be bad for the boy. So the governor made sure he failed the provincial exam. A couple of years later, in 1540, the now 15-year-old Zhang Jujeng succeeded at the provincial exam, and in 1547, at 22, he succeeded at the imperial level and earned the rank of Jin Shi, which qualified him for high office. During the reigns of emperors Jia Jing and Mu Zong, Zhang Jujeng steadily rose up the ranks until, in 1567, under Emperor Mu he became the Minister of Personnel. This was a powerful cabinet position, giving him control over who got what jobs throughout the imperial bureaucracy. Unfortunately, his boss, Emperor Mu was a sex addict. The Ming Dynasty annals tell us that he was a long-term user of aphrodisiacs and basically had sex all day every day until, in the view of the doctors of the time, he simply wore himself out. And he died after only five years of rule in 1572, aged 35. His son Emperor Shenzong, also known as Wan Li, came to the throne. Wan Li was only nine years old at the time, and in need of tutelage. His mother, Empress Li, became regent. She, in turn, trusted Zhang Juzheng implicitly and basically gave him control over all the affairs of state. Thus empowered, Zhang Juzheng pushed through a series of much-needed economic and political reforms during the first decade or so of the reign of Wanli. Wanli would ultimately go on to rule for 48 years, and his later years left much to be desired. But these early years under Zhang Juzheng were a kind of Ming Renaissance. He put in a system of performance reviews for officials so as to get rid of non performing men who took a salary but did nothing for their country. Over time, his policies reduced the headcount of the Ming bureaucracy from some 120,000 men to about 98,000. He put into positions of responsibility capable military officers, such as Qi Jiguang, a man we already mentioned in our Wu Peifu episode, and who would go down as a great hero in Chinese history for fighting off Japanese pirates. By this point in the Ming Dynasty, land ownership records often didn't reflect reality, and landowners were able to hide millions of acres of land on which they ought to be paying taxes from government tax inspectors. Zhang Jujeng made a serious effort to rectify this situation, dramatically expanding the Ming regime's tax base and improving its financial position. He instituted a system of document control That must have seemed incredibly annoying and burdensome. All government papers had to be done in triplicates. The triplicate system improved the Ming government's record keeping and central control, so that ultimately it led to greater efficiency in the bureaucracy's operation. In this connection, Zhang Zheng reminds me of something I heard not too long ago on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. In the 1930s, a man named Paul Madden ran the California Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. Although, presumably, Madden went through his entire life without hearing about Zhang Juzheng, he did something quite similar. He instituted the triplicate program, under which every doctor in California, when prescribing medicine, had to record the prescription in triplicates. Everyone was annoyed with Madden, but he insisted that the system saved lives. Fast forward to the 1990s and the 2000s, and the opioid epidemic was ravaging America. And it turned out that Madden was right. States with a triplicate requirement similar to the one he put in place in California suffered much less during the opioid epidemic. The triplicate requirement, annoying as it was, or precisely because it was annoying, reduced the likelihood that doctors unnecessarily prescribed opioids. The simple act of keeping records in triplicates saved lives in modern America, just as it improved bureaucratic performance in late 16th century China. Perhaps obviously, the fact that Zhang Zhuzhen possessed so much power led to jealousy on the part of other officials. His effort to get rid of incompetent and corrupt officials surely didn't help with his popularity. And he did leave himself open to attack by political opponents in a number of ways. In 1577, Zhang Jujang's father died. Per Chinese custom, he was supposed to to resign his political post and go into mourning for three years. Zhang Juzheng didn't want to do that, and he received Emperor Wanli's support not to observe this custom on the grounds that the Empire couldn't do without his service. But filial piety had always been a crucial value in Confucian China, and the observance of the mourning period was a major expression of that value. So many courtiers now attacked him for failing in his filial duties, and for seeming to value political power over those duties. and. As essentially the regent holding power in the court of Wanli, Zhang Juzheng sometimes spoke too harshly and directly to the child emperor, behaving rather like a father to his son. Ultimately, Zhang Juzheng would pay a price for these mistakes, or rather, his family would. After his death in 1582, from possibly colon cancer. His political opponents visited belated vengeance upon his three sons and other family members. After that, for the remainder of the Wanli era, no one dared to bring up Zhang Jujeng again. It was not until the reign of the next emperor, Emperor Tianqi, that courtiers spoke up for him again, and Zhang Juzhong regained his reputation as an era-defining statesman. But I see now that I have reached the end of Zhang Juzhong's life without telling you what he had to do with the nine-headed bird. Well, there are two versions of the story, both having to do with the fact that his reforms led to resentment by many of his fellow officials. In one version, Zhang Juzheng took ill at one point during his drive to reform the Ming bureaucracy. Nine senior officials took the opportunity to denounce him to the emperor in hopes of getting rid of him. But Zhang Jujeng outmaneuvered them so that in the end they were the ones who lost their jobs. And the saying arose, in the sky there is the nine-headed bird, so on earth there is the man from Hubei. Meaning that the man from Hubei, i.e. Zhang Jujeng, was so smart that he was able to outplay nine political opponents allied against him. In another version, at one point, Zhang Juzheng appointed nine men to senior positions in the government. All nine of them also hailed from Hubei. And the nine of them proceeded to ruthlessly prosecute corrupt officials like Elliot Ness going after the mob. The result was a much less corrupt bureaucracy, but also a great deal of resentment against Zhang Zhuzheng and his team of nine. The resentful officials took to repeating this saying, in the sky there's the nine-headed bird, so on earth there's the man from Hubei, as a kind of roundabout insult. From their point of view, The men from Hubei were like the nine-headed bird, a hydra-like monster, and an evil omen. But, from my point of view, as a descendant of Hubei, you know what? I'll take that. To be hated by corrupt officials for trying to clean up corruption, there is perhaps No more sincere form of compliment than that. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.